This week on a lively experiment, a packed week at the General Assembly with a budget reveal in the House and controversial gun bills moving their way through both chambers. And the January 6th committee begins its hearings in prime time. But who's watching? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Billy Hunt, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island, Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller, and former state representative Joe Trillo. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Hummel and welcome to this week's Lively Experiment. If you were hoping for the suspension of the gasoline tax or a reduction of the sales tax, something that Governor McKee hinted at recently, you were disappointed on Thursday. But there is good news if you own a newer car, have dependent children, or receive a military pension. There will be tax relief for all of you. It's part of a $13.6 billion proposed budget released by the House Finance Committee for next year. Joe, let me begin with you as one who sat in that chamber. You and I were talking before. When you started at the legislature, it was about half that amount. It was about half that amount, yep. And, he, and every year it consistently went up until we kept breaking the billion barriers. Every year it seemed like it was going up at least $500 million a year. And now they're up to 13 and a half billion. What's your thought at first blush? Uh, that, you know, a lot of people have talked about where's the big thing? We're about maybe suspension of the gasoline tax at the end of the year, maybe a sales tax reduction by a point, which we, you know, it went up for RISDIC all those years ago. What do you what do you think about this budget? Well, I think the good thing that's coming out of this budget is really the elimination of the car tax. We certainly have been talking about it long enough, and I'm happy to see that they're taking the extra money that we have today. As a matter of fact, in my run as a state rep, I, we never had a surplus. They have almost a $2 billion surface right now, a surplus that they're playing with, and a lot of it was... COVID money, and it really should have gone for other uses, i.e. helping small business, but it didn't go for that. Now they have all this money, and to get rid of the car tax, I think, is it was a substantial expense if you didn't have the money, but we have it, and I'm glad to see it happen. Yeah, I, I too always wonder, I know that, that so much of our budget is what we call pass-through, which means that the federal government either reimburses us or gives us money ahead of time, and we do have a fairly large um, sort of range of programs that Rhode Island supports, so that's one of the things. But I, too, have always wondered why this budget keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We know that we didn't actually grow in population the way that the census first thought we did. So if we're not expanding at great lengths, you know, in terms of a number of people, uh, why are we literally, you know, 500 million, uh, a billion, whatever it is, I mean, we have, a, you know, an enormous budget for a small state. Nebraska has half our budget. Half our budget, just a little bit, a fewer, slightly fewer people, but half our budget, and they seem to be doing fine. So I don't understand why we need to have such a huge budget. I'm with you. I don't understand. Well, you know, I, I remember sitting with uh, Governor Sununu, uh, well, in the past three or four years. New Hampshire. Yeah, and he's New Hampshire. And he had said to me, if I ever had your budget, we would really be able to do some great things because they have, like, well, three or four years ago, they had a $6.5 billion budget in a much bigger state. So how do they do it? Well, they don't have 
the ongoing expenses to take care of the colas that we have to up every year. It, it gets very expensive. I understand. Uh, I understand we've got a surplus of almost a billion dollars, but this is seven hundred million dollars more than the governor asked for. Well. That's the, the whole entire thing is that the budget grows every year, the government spending uh, increases every year, and that uh, money has to come from somewhere. A lot of that is passed through, but even if it's coming from the federal government, it's still coming from the taxpayers' money, and that's money coming out of our pocket. Uh, we have a huge surplus uh, going into this budget year, and we're getting a bone uh, thrown back to us, not to mention the billion dollars of COVID relief money they're sitting on. <coughs> and uh, really, there's been a lot of creative budgeting going around where they've been moving funds around and filling holes and uh, with the surplus money that they're getting from the federal government. Uh, but, you know, really the car tax, what, that was going to be phased out anyway, uh, you know, next year. And in, realistically, that's really a bailout for the larger municipalities and cities who have a higher tax rate, and it, it constitutes a larger portion of their budget. So cities like uh, Providence and Central Falls and Pawtucket are getting a big bailout of this, whereas some more uh, fiscally responsible communities, it's not as big as of a relief. Um, they're talking about a children uh, tax credit of $250. You know, big deal. The cost of raising a child, I can tell you firsthand, is, is extremely expensive in this new world of inflation. Hey, stop your complaints. And you're getting $250. Well, it's $250. That doesn't even cover the week of daycare I lost because of the incompetence of the uh, the state running the testing system and me needing to get a, a negative PCR test because my son has a sniffle from teething. <laughs> I mean, it's really it's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't make a huge difference for the average everyday taxpayer. And I think that's who's being left out in this entire situation is the individuals who went to work every day during the pandemic, who uh, you know really haven't gotten ahead during this time, but the cost of their living has gone up exponentially during this time. And and they're getting behind. I also wonder, Wendy, there seems to be, it, we seem flush with money, but you wonder if guys like Joe Sicarci, who's uh, going to be there for the long run, we don't know whether Governor McKee's going to be there, he hopes to be after November, whether they see the storm clouds on the horizon and doing something like the sales tax is so fundamentally changing that they may regret that. You know, certainly they don't want to have to add it on. But I sense the little, even though these are great times, a little bit of hesitation in storm clouds. Well, certainly if you look at the stock market and you look at pro projections about sort of a mini recession or a mild recession or something on the horizon, that's definitely something you should be thinking about. It's psychology. If you cut the gas tax or you suspend it or you cut the sales tax and then you try to put it back, mm. it is much more painful. People say, wait a minute, I, now it costs more money again at the pump. I would rather like, slap a tax, I don't know if we can do this on, um, you know, gas companies. Gas prices go up without any explanation. You wake up the next day, it's 25 cents more at the pump. What about the gas companies and the oil companies? What about the legislators that take contributions from gas and oil companies? Let's look at, like, who's making money off higher gas prices? Not the state of Rhode Island through the gas tax, which funds basically our roads and bridges. It's gas and oil companies. So how come we're letting them get away with it at the federal level and the state level? I don't understand. Yeah, that's really a problem that would should be dealt with at the federal level. If they w wanted to have a commission, they should have a commission making sure that we're not being gouged by the big oil companies, which I'm sure we are. But, you know, one of the things that should have come out of this budget, but nobody ever talked about it, and it's going to be a major problem this coming winter, and that is home heating assistance. Yeah. They should have put at least 10, 15 million dollars more. Which is a relatively small amount. Right? It's a small amount of and money. And the federal government has cut spending for like. But people yeah. that yeah. were paying two fifty, three dollars a gallon for home eating oil are going to be paying six or seven dollars this winter. That is going to be devastating. It could end up costing uh, people to heat a house maybe. Uh, 
two or three thousand dollars a month. Especially, especially seniors, especially yeah. seniors especially who may seniors. be in older stock housing that has oil furnaces. So, you know, be targeted about who you want to try to help. See, Final. This, well, this is ridiculous. The fact that the oil companies are raking in these huge profits and that's what's driving up the cost of gas. I mean, what just made them decide that they're going to start raising prices today as opposed to, you know, two years ago or whatever. And if it, anything, it has the cover of the mismanagement of the foreign policy and the fiscal policy in this by the federal government in this administration that gave them the cover to be able to do it. The fact of the matter is, is that the consumption and the supply of gasoline during this whole entire time has continued to rise. It's not a supply side issue, it's a demand side issue. The federal government printed something like $14 trillion. The cost of everything is going up, and it's a result of the uh, financial policy of this administration, not the oil companies deciding that they're all of a sudden going to make millions of dollars in profits. Well, I would agree with him to a certain extent that he's right. I mean, what's happened at a federal level is egregious. This president has taken over, he shut down the pipeline, he's canceling contracts for drilling, and, and they're basically bringing our country to, to, to their knees because they want to sell electric vehicles of which we don't have a grid that would begin to handle the charging stations. We needed to make a slower uh, progression towards becoming all electric or whatever their, cons whatever their mind is thinking we should do. And what's happening is that's the driving factor behind the cost of all the fuels, the gas and the oil going up, is the fact that the president and the administration has held it back because they want to teach us that we need to go green. Well, that's... He's not holding back. I mean, the part of that, I think, I, I agree with you. I think that the rush to electric vehicles is a, a fairly elite kind of privilege right now because I, I actually live in a housing stock which I could not charge an electric car, so I want to know where I'm going to charge you know it. What? I agree a, with that, you, but this is not, you know, his, his approval rating is so in the tank and gas prices are up. It would be just, I mean, more political malpractice than we've ever seen before, even under Jimmy Carter, to purposely hold it back and make things more difficult. But I agree with you that the push has not has not come with the kinds of infrastructure building that we need for most Americans to be able to use electric. I agree. The stimulus is both Trump and Biden, both of them, uh, particularly the uh, unemployment bonus that they continued when we didn't need it. Um, also, the extra cash payment, which continued, which most people didn't need, that last cash payment, and the Federal Reserve. So Jerome Powell didn't want to get fired by Donald Trump, so he did not raise interest rates, and then he waited way too long, uh, and our economy is captive to the Federal Reserve. But so I agree with you that both of these federal administrations have created much too much fiscal stimulus and not enough reining it in. But Trump did it at the beginning of the pandemic and at the very when end. it was somewhat necessary. Right, and at the very end, right before re-election, most politicians would have done the same thing. But it thing. was totally unnecessary for Biden to continue doing it, and, and now he's still not happy doing it. He'd like to do another trillion, $2 trillion, which will kill no, us. He, they, were, he, they were both irresponsible, and the fact of the matter is, is that the reserve currency of oil is the U.S. dollar. So as the dollar falls against the reserve currency, currency of the uh, barrel of oil, it shows that we have inflation in this country and that the printing of the money has created 99% of the problems that we have uh, and, the, and the stimulus under both Trump and Biden have contributed to that and they've done nothing to resolve the issue. And, that's and you the can't put line. the toothpaste back in no, the tube can't. They're point, only, right? they're only, they can't step on the accelerator and the brake at the same time and their only re uh, recourse is 
to raise interest rates, and that's going to tank the economy. Let's do this. We'll get back to national stuff in a minute, but uh, the other big issue up at the State House, of course, is gun legislation, which is a perennial issue up there. Uh, this year, the House Finance Committee has passed uh, three major uh, bills. One would raise the age of uh, buying firearms from 18 to 21. The other would uh, increase, uh, limit the magazine capacity. Joe can give us all of the details on the guns because I know you know about this legislation. Um, let me let me ask you just first. Well, let me start with Wendy. This is something that for years we've been trying to get forward. T politics is timing everything that's going on with Uvalde. Um, I know the gun rights activists are going to be very upset with this. Were you surprised that it's gotten to this point? We're taping on a Friday, and it looks like these bills are going to pass the House. We don't know what's going to happen in the Senate next week. Well, I thought it was really interesting that McKee staked out what you could argue is a left-of-center position, virtually on the assault weapon ban, and I'm um, supporting these gun measures. And it, it just shows that he's got a competitive primary coming ahead, and I think that was a big mover. That was a sort of a key signal. I, I think the simple But the Speaker didn't buy into the assault weapon no, ban. No, no, that's correct. But... The idea of being supportive of taking action right now on guns, I think that was, I think the key sort of started that conversation. The second thing is we raised 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago, we raised the drinking age. And we raised the drinking age from 18 to 21 because we said we don't want 18-year-olds on the road in vehicles when they're drinking, that we didn't think that they were responsible enough to do that. That's why the drinking age is 21. All I would ask for is the same principle with assault, with AR-15s. I mean, I, I, you know lots of guns more than I do, but AR-15s, assault weapons, just let's take the same principle with alcohol and cars and do it to guns for people who are under the age of 21. You know, this whole argument about guns is... is always comes up whenever there's a catastrophe. And if you, and, and the opposition will say what I'm going to say, it's not the guns, guns that are creating the problem, it's the people. And when you look at what happened in Texas with that mass shooting in the school, and you find out that the police never went in for over an hour and 15 minutes while kids were being slaughtered, it affects everybody to their core. And people think that the only solution is let's make stronger laws. Well, stronger laws only get uh, listened to by people that are law-abiding citizens. People that want to commit crimes, they don't care what the laws But in this case, make. this specific case, and I agree with you with all of what happened in the school, and, and you know, they're going to be trying to parse that for months and years. In this case, the kid bought the, the weapon on his 18th birthday, no waiting period. The next one in Oklahoma, the guy, it was three hours later. So, I mean, at least raising it, the gun... Jim, the, I'm not arguing with you that it can't be raised to 21. I, I, the, the, to so me, you're not, fine with that's that? That's not a big that's, deal argument. But that's position. the beginning. But right? what Absolutely. I'm saying is the people believe that this is realistically going to help. Yeah. It's not going to help anything. Well, we it would have helped in that situation. It would have helped in that situation. Okay, in that one situation. We may that's never see that Right, that situation. one situation. Is 20 kids are dead. Why don't we address the problem, the root problem and the cause of what's happening, the fact that we've let mental health people on the street well, I, walk around. That that's, that's the default the position, mental health. Yeah. That's no, always I, the default. So, 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 well, just really quickly, um, I want to get the floor, Billy, really quickly. I agree with Joe that, um, and, and we're old enough to know, that starting the 1960s, there was a wholesale policy shift to let people out without any good community mental health centers, without any good outpatient right. services. That is true. That is fact, and that's a failing. But on the other hand, the same principle, when you're 18 versus 21, maybe a few more years, you calm down, particularly in Oklahoma, that person bought a gun at 2 p.m. and then killed people three hours later. Just a waiting period and raising it to 21. And these are reasonable 
measures, I think. And everybody said, like, so I've heard all the gun rights activists, you're chipping away at my rights, you're coming to take away my gun. That's not what they're trying to do right now. It's I think a they're little bit around at the, the time you're, you're getting Yeah, it. but you think because it's the camel's time, nose under the but tent. No, but right? every time there's something that's done with a gun, people want to get that feel-good legislation out there. Let's feel good. Hey, we made another law that's going to restrict the gun use. And it doesn't work. Well, it's they haven't done enough of the laws to know I, if it doesn't work. I think we need to decide if what the age of an adult is. Is it 18? Is it 21? And we need to decide that across the board. Uh, the idea that we're, we're having this argument and trying to make this distinction, let's move the age of being adult to a 21. It's a different life than it was when they uh, decided that back in the day. Uh, obviously, we shouldn't have people who are 16 voting, uh, for that matter, if that's the case, but uh, that's another argument. Uh, I would approach this from a different level. Why should the police and the government have a monopoly on violence? Why should they be the only ones that are allowed to have these types of firearms? Uh, we've spent the last two years learning that police are, you're more likely to be shot in a police interaction than you are in a mass shooting, and we're going to have them come ahead and take the guns away from law-abiding citizens and give them the exclusive right to have these weapons and to uh, tyrannize the, uh, the everyday uh, population. It's just not a, a feasible solution. And the common-sense gun uh, legislation that they're coming up with uh, is effectively not, again, solving the problem. You, you can say, all right, but it how raised... do you know that? We haven't done it yet, so you don't know yeah. that it doesn't help solve the problem. Well, it, it, we, it doesn't solve the problem because every single thing that they came up with, a high-capacity magazine, I can kill 10 people with 10 bullets on, in a magazine. It doesn't make a difference if I have more than that. If you go ahead and you have an open carry legislation, wh when was the last time that that was a problem where there was people walking around Rhode Island and opening uh, carry and, and having uh, shotguns that is an issue? And if it is an issue and people are doing that, again, it's a reason why it's happening is because of the, the government that is, is tyrannizing the people and taking away our rights. This is a, a violation of our uh, illegal search and seizure. You can't go in and take people. And the worst part of it is it's selective enforcement. Now you have minimum sentencing. You now have a felony if you're in possession with it. Who are the people who are most effective by minimum uh, sentences is uh, poor and minority people. Uh, the police won't come and protect property in low-income areas. They've given up it. You've effectively taken away the ability for low-income and minority people to protect their this homes just, and their businesses. These are widespread it's not. One in these four are widespread generalizations one in four, that you're saying? One in four uh, minorities own a gun, and, one, and a higher legally. percentage of people... Legally. Exactly. So, legally. So, so why are they... talking about not letting so people own we, a gun legally. Just so make sure we, that 18-year-olds cannot get an assault okay, weapon. Okay, so let's ban let's let's automobiles. Well, the nuance is the assault weapon. It's, it's assault versus weapon. nobody's trying to take away anybody's can away. The uh, AR-15 is not really assault. an assault weapon. Oh, a high-capacity magazine. A high-capacity ma would you know turn how many, it into somewhat you know of an assault uh, yeah, How many... Uh, 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 9-millimeter pistol has a high, uh, uh, more than a 10... I don't want uh, to have to go to a movie theater and a grocery store and have kids go to school, be terrified of being shot to death. It's not a tenable position to tell me the laws don't work until we try them. If they, we try them and they don't work, and you can make an argument, assault weapon bans don't always work. These are all arguments you can make to me. But raising the age to 21... So an 18-year-old who's full of anger, and we know that a lot of the shootings that we've seen are, are white boys, really, between the ages of 18 and 21 or 18 and 25. Let's see if it helps. Are and you okay doesn't, doesn't. with 18 to 21? I, I, again, we have to decide what the age of being an adult is. If we want to move that to 21, and that's what we've decided as a, as a community, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. Joe? 
I don't have a problem with it. I just think it's a psychological fix. And I, I hate creating laws that do psychological fixes because we do it every time there's a catastrophe. Either if, if it affects a child, the parents carry and get, get legislators involved. We got to have a law that does this and does this and does this. So we have all these laws on the books that never solve any problems. They just make the legislators feel better that they pass the laws. It's all emotional right. and antiquated. Uh, antiqu not quantitative data that they're using to make these decisions. All right, to be continued, uh, we are taping Friday morning, Thursday night. The January 6th Commission held its first uh, public hearings. Uh, this is, they've been uh, bringing people in for months. This is the first prime time presentation that they had. Uh, Billy, I don't know if you watched any of it. And I, I guess the larger question is with inflation, with prices, with everything else, is this something that uh, I watched it. I thought it was pretty dramatic. I think it tied together a lot of loose ends. But is this what people are going to be concentrating on as we go into the midterm elections? Well, it was a three-hour paid commercial for the Democratic Party against Donald Trump. I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. I mean, it was put on uh, as a, a complete show and to kind of drag this back into the headlines because uh, the Democrats are scared to death about what's going to happen to them in the midterm. This is exactly why they're trying to galvanize around the abortion issue, uh, the gun issue, and now they're bringing Trump back into it because they have nothing else to do and they're trying to drum up the support of the people those 80 million voters that came out during the presidential election to make sure that they don't stay home during the midterms uh, there was no new information that came out of the hearings it was a big nothing burger I'm, I'm be shocked if uh, any substantive uh, number of people watched it uh, and, you know, I, I think back to the whole run-up leading up to this, you know, the president goes on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, it's it just so transparent. And uh, being the younger millennial that I am, I, I, I watched the interview on, uh, on YouTube, which has uh, eliminated the dislike button. But the ratio of views to likes was very low. Uh, so I can't imagine that across the board, uh, the approval ratings, ratings for this president or anything is going to have any uh, effect on moving the needle for him. I think one of the things, first of all, it was a full production and it yeah. was designed to be be a production of show value as a commercial and you know little little things like the fact that they did sound was added to a lot of that video where they were showing rioters that was riot sound that was dubbed in and you should have seen that you should have known that right away Jim if you listen to it it wasn't the actual audio of what was happening so they dramatized that then when the president said let's all go over to the Capitol they edited it and cut it out, and they didn't uh, put that he said, let's go peaceably and patriotically. This is the same sentence that this man is making, and you cut that out. Well, if you're going to do that, then it's it's marks it as a sham. Anybody that buys anything that they produce in that, it's a joke. Um, well, I think I think the the actions of uh, uh, both Donald Trump and also the rioters on January 6th are indefensible. So, of course, if you are a supporter of President Trump, you are going to make a claim that nobody cares about this. And I don't disagree that inflation and gas prices are important. But the issue is this isn't about Joe Biden. This is about sidelining Donald Trump. That's what I think people miss about this story. It's for Republicans and Democrats. They want him sidelined because the Republicans believe he's a liability in the general election, not the primary, but the general in midterm 2022 among suburban voters and in 24. So people like Ron DeSantis, 
You know, the, I don't think they were unhappy about last night at all. People like Mike Pence, obviously, who was portrayed quite favorably uh, for upholding the Constitution, is not unhappy about those hearings. So I think, yes, obviously the Democrats are in control. I mean, Liz Cheney is a Republican. Her father was vice president, um, uh, amongst other things. Started out as uh, deputy chief of staff to Gerald Ford. When you think about the Cheney legacy, you think about Republicans. But that's what people are missing about the story. This is also something that a decent percentage of Republicans, particularly elected Republican officials, want to happen, too, because they want to sideline Trump. They want him gone from the story so they can take over, govern, and win elections without the baggage. Do you think he's a player, or do you think he's all I, I think he will always be a player until he decides that he's not going to be a player. But let me say this. Every year politicians run, and what's the first thing they promise you they're going to do? They're going to change things. They're going to stop all of what's going on in government, and they're going to show you what's going on and how bad it is, and they're going to go after the, the special interests that are running and controlling the country, and in our, our case, our state. Trump did that. And nobody wanted to see it because it was so dirty and so egregious. We found out stuff about the FBI and the CIA and, and all the Russia hoax and, and what Hillary Clinton pulled against the Trump campaign. And yet people are still buying this BS by, by watching this, this event that's going on right Can now. Are disturbed I, I, at all by what happened that day? Yes, of course I'm disturbed about what happened. But don't take and blame what maybe 200 people did. You had a guy testify yes, yesterday that approximately 200 Proud Boys wearing orange hats were the first ones to go into the Capitol. You get the final word. Well, I, it's just ridiculous. To, to Joe's point, I mean, this is, I am not a uh, Trump supporter, and I think it was not a big deal. I don't really find it that disturbing. I think it was a, a bunch of people who went and, like, stormed the Capitol. Again, it was it was people that got violent and got out of hand, and it was not uh, something that uh, was I would condone by any means. But in the grand scheme of things, everything that happened with Hillary Clinton and, uh, you know, reporting to the FBI and, and passing off the whole Russian collusion hoax and uh, dis in discounting the 2016 election was just as bad as any insurrection Only that happened because on the January insurrection 6th. failed. Only because if you think it's nothing, it's because it failed. It, would, all, never and, have, and, it would never have happened. How do you know you that? You can't take over the government by marching on There were a bunch of unarmed people. with two like, brains know that. Well, then you should have told your friend Donald Trump that, because he should Donald believe Trump that it might never work. told them to cause a riot. <laughs> and he also didn't march with them. Notice that. Go, I'm right behind you. You know, when someone says, go do something uncomfortable, the, and the president Antifa, says, I'm going to go do something It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If Town. Trump they burnt police cars. They shot at police cars. And we don't Trump. talk about We're that. We're going to talk about right. January 6th. Right. When 99% well, of the capital of the United States when it's Joe, Joe, Joe it's not the capital. That's 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 the, the government is not the capital. It's not Washington, D.C. It's indefensible. you got to fairly change the subject. By marching on Congress. Well, this is why. If Donald Trump really believed it was just going to be peaceable and it was just an expression of opinion, why didn't he go with them? They had joint sessions of Why Congress in the House, and they didn't have security there protecting well, no, that them? I agree with like, you. give me no, a break. No, no, Billy, this is not... Billy, a, there was I a bunch of unarmed people that went no, and no, stood no, in between no, the no. ropes and walked well, in. And, you have to ask the police officers that were getting beaten up, but that's another story. Oh, but what about all the cops that get beaten up in all the cities? I agree with you. But Joe, you have a doctorate in whataboutism. That's a whole separate issue. We're talking about the Capitol. And I understand that is an issue, but what happened on January 6th and why it happened? Those people believe they were there at Donald Trump's insistence 
it's instant to get in the way of the certification. That's what they were there for. But that's why they weren't there to protest. They weren't going to get in the way of the certification. How do you know that, Billy? You're right. They believe that. They all believe that. There's no security. Why do they believe that? I don't believe it. This is one of the. But one of the things I think Billy's raising is really important that didn't get enough attention last night. That I think thirty seconds. There wasn't enough security and enough preparation. And they knew in advance that there was a potential. So did Donald Trump, and he had three hours to call in as much help as we could get, and he didn't do anything. But here's my question: If he thought it was just going to be peaceful, why didn't he march with him as he said he would? I'm right behind you. You got the last thirty seconds. We blew right through outrageous because this was outrageous <laughs> enough. I, I, go right I, I don't know where to go with it because I think what you're watching right now is just one more attempt at trying to kill Trump once and for all. We got him in the corner. Wendy coffin. would agree with you I on that. You. He keeps rising. Not literally. We got to put yes. a stake through his yes. heart. And that's that the right. only reason. Because the Republicans wrote. didn't do it, because even though they the said Democrats they were going to do it are so on January 6th. Right now right. That they've screwed your, this company. Your friend up Kevin McCarthy so wanted to do that and then he flip flopped. Well, you right? know what? But this is a big question. All right. Right, is, are we right or wrong? Will he be a liability or not? We don't know yet. All right. Stay, tu stay tuned. Folks, uh, that was lively. <laughs> Folks, thank you for your time. Billy and Joe and Wendy, we might have a little after show afterwards. Uh, we hope you have a great week. It is busy in the General Assembly, so stick with us as we cover all of what's going on as we head to the home stretch. And we hope you join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by hi I'm John Hazen White jr. for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS